0: It took another two years to find to find the publisher. And then, of course, we got two offers within two days, which, right, like, <laughs> Easter or yep. famine. But, but we did have a lot of beautiful rejections along the way.
1: Welcome to What Were You Thinking? The podcast that goes beyond the pages of the books we love. I'm your host, Dana Goldstein, and I invite you to join me as we ask authors to share the story behind their stories. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of What Were You Thinking? Have you checked out my middle grade debut novel yet? It's called Shift, and it ticks a lot of boxes for our young readers. It's under 300 pages. It fits in with the science curriculum, talking about geology, earth formation, environmental science. It inspires students to become stewards of the planet, and it's got lessons about friendship, overcoming challenges, and self-confidence. You can pick up your copy of Shift wherever books are sold. Now, let's move on. Today's episode, I am talking to Pauline Thompson, author of the picture book called hooray for dna it was super fun to read and i enjoyed this conversation with pauline immensely we talked about the challenges of getting a picture book published we talked about her journey And we talked about what it's like to work with an illustrator, which is so super critical for picture books. Pauline joined me for this interview from her cottage up in Muskoka, Ontario. So sometimes the Internet was a little bit spotty, but you'll get the gist of everything she had to say. So without further ado, I'm pleased to introduce you to Pauline Thompson, author of Hooray for DNA. Congratulations on Hooray for DNA. How exciting. Thank you so much. Yeah, Thank and you. And it's it's your first picture book, correct? It's my first book, period. Oh wow. I'm
0: a author.
1: That's amazing. I
0: myself
1: that. So let me let me ask you this. <laughs> it's like one of my dreams as a writer is to be able to just like go somewhere else for like a month or two and just be with myself creatively. Is this something that you experience? Like you've obviously been coming out to Muskoka for a very long time and in whatever capacity in the past, like you haven't, this is your debut novel. So like, is this a creative space for you now or has it evolved? Like, I'm curious about that.
0: Well, your dream is my dream <laughs> and our cottage isn't winterized. So it's only accessible in the summer because we're on an island. So... I would say historically, um, I've not been given much time to, uh, have creative space for myself with three boys and they were all close in age. And, but, um, latterly I have been able to just, you know, say to my husband, I just need a week. I have to finish this and I just want to eat popcorn. I want to eat out of a can. I don't want to turn on a stove. I just want the peace and the quiet and the dog and me. And, you know, if you wouldn't mind, and he's been gracious enough to allow me to do that on more than one occasion. So yeah, it is becoming more more so that than it has been in the past, but we do have a lot of family that wants to come in the summer. So the summers can be pretty hectic.
1: Yeah, but it's it's nice to get that time, pardon me. And it's, it's, it made me laugh when you said eat out of a can because a hundred percent the creative, zone requires that you have very few decisions to make
0: yes like don't get dressed (laughs) bathing optional (laughs) I mean the the face and the teeth always but
1: yeah if
0: there's no one around
1: yeah I try to explain to my husband that yeah there's like if there's no dinner prepared or I have no plan for dinner that's because I'm having a really good writing day (laughs) And he should appreciate it
0: and take you up in chair.
1: And (laughs) he believes it mostly. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about this adorable book. Hooray for DNA, because it's had a remarkable
0: evolution. So I first conceived the story over ten years ago, and I was inspired after reading Bill Bryson's A Short History of Nearly Everything. And in it, he talked about how a fruit fly, we share 60% of our DNA with a fruit fly. And I just like that was the, and it was also right around the time when, you know, they were figuring out the human genome and and it was really sort of topical. Um, But that just blew me away because really we didn't know all that much about DNA in terms of, you know, how much we shared with other species, animals, plants, et cetera. So I just started, you know, poking around on the internet, like, well, if I'm, you know, 60% um, fruit fly, what, what percentage am I of other things? And I found this great site on the National Geographic site and it had this wheel and it was like, you know, guess how much, what percentage of this animal you are? I can't find it anymore. It's gone, which is sad because it was amazing. But I was just like a kid in a playground. I was like, "Oh, oh my God, this is incredible. And I was at the time taking a writing for children's workshop with Peter Carver in Toronto at Mabel's Fables, which is this delightful little independent bookstore
1: okay just me popping in with a little aside about peter carver he is a highly regarded writing teacher he's written a book called so you want to write a children's book he's taught at george brown college in toronto he's done workshops across the country he knows his stuff so if you ever see a workshop with peter carver you should absolutely try to take it also mabel's fables is a lovely children's bookstore in Toronto. I went there when my kids were really, really little.
0: And that was where the the story first came to me. And I bounced it off the group. And everyone thought it was pretty interesting. And it was I mean, it was a vastly different story then than it is now. But, um, you know, I worked on it for a bit. And then, I felt like I'd reached a point where I could send it out to some publishers. So I did just some local Canadian Toronto publishers and I didn't hear anything back. And I thought, oh, well, you know, it's a nothing burger, not meant to be. But this little story, it was just like, just like a little monkey in my brain. It kept rattling and saying, let me out, let me out, you know, take me off the shelf, dust me off, look at me again. And, and so I did. And, uh, and then I summoned the courage to show it to a friend of mine, Simone who's a, a teacher and a librarian and she ran to it, Pauline, I love this and I'm gonna I want to introduce you to my friend Barbara because um, Barbara had just recently left Random House. I think it was Random House and was um, independently doing some editing, some freelance editing. So we met and then she was like, I love this. I'm going to show it to a few publishers that I know. I'm like, really? And so we got really far, you know, down the path um, with one publisher in particular. He really liked it. And then at the end of the day, he said, would you consider writing it in prose? And I just couldn't, I couldn't do it because this story to me wanted to be in verse. It wanted to be accessible. It wanted to be friendly and unintimidating and I just thought that the minute I turned it into a a picture book that was written in prose it was going to lose all its life and I just I just had to walk away Um, and I understand why he wanted it to go to be in prose because you lose a huge market in verse you can't translate it into other languages and for us yeah well for for smaller Canadian publishers like they probably need to have access to as wide a market as possible and then to limit it to just a English speaking market. I get it. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a good business model. So I guess really I was kind of uh, destined for a larger publishing house or not at all, nothing at all, because no one else could afford really to invest in a, in a story, a picture book story written in verse. So Anyway, I put it back in my mental shelf. And then I reached out to um, Sam Hyatt at the Wrights Factory. And I said, okay, Sam, this story, like I know I've got something because people so far have really liked it. And this is how far I've got. And I said, you know, would you be interested in wrapping me? And he said, Well, I said it's not my area of expertise, but I do have an agent, um, Stacy Conla, who I think would be a good fit. So I'll pass it on to Stacy and see what she says. And then it was like six months. I guess Stacy had a huge pile of manuscripts before her. So at, like I'm thinking, oh, you know, it's it's a nothing burger again. It's dead in the water. And it was right around Thanksgiving. And Stacy said, I'm sorry it's taken me so long to to read your story, but I've read it and I love it. And I would love to wrap you and." So it was just like the best Thanksgiving ever. Uh, but even then, it took another two years to find to find the publisher. And then, of course, we got two offers within two days, which, right, like <laughs> Easter or yeah. salmon. But, but we did have a lot of beautiful rejections along the way. So it was very encouraging, like people getting back saying, this story made my day, unfortunately, you know. We were not looking for this kind of story right now, but I just loved it. And so, you know, I think it just kept Stacy and myself going, knowing that these were the nicest rejection letters ever.
1: <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's just all about timing, right?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think there's that. So I want
1: to okay. roll, I just want to roll it back because you mentioned Sam Hyatt. <laughs> now, did you have a, do you know him from outside publishing world?
0: We worked together at Alias, which was a high-tech company. Sam was a technical writer, and I was a marketing manager there. And um, so Tam, uh, Sam would write you know, more technical things, and then it was my job to take the more technical things and simplify them for ad brochures, direct mail campaigns, that kind of thing. So um, that's how Sam and I knew each other. And, and I mean, we hadn't seen each other or talked to each other in years, and I felt a little you know, um, funny about just reaching out of the a blast from the past kind of thing. But he was, he was very sweet and very receptive. And and he put me into Stacy's hands, God bless him. So yeah, it was, you know, you never know the people you meet on the way up, right? How they're going to reappear in your life and, and be pivotal in your life.
1: Exactly. Did you ever yeah. for a minute or to consider self-publishing if it if you hadn't found a home f- for, for Hooray for DNA?
0: I I did not get to that point, no. Just because I, I had publishers that seemed to be interested. So I felt like it would be a lot easier to go the traditional route because I know it's got to be a lot of work too. I mean, a lot of stores won't even take your book unless you're already with a big publisher. I've seen that with the small independent bookstores because they can't, ship them back, you know, there's a little more financial risk for them. So I think it's, I mean, I don't know. I'm not in that many bookstores myself. Um, It's more sales seem to be more today relying on Amazon and online sales. And I think that's a really hard, hard way to sell a picture book. Because I know for me, I have to Hold it in my hands. I want to look at all the pictures and go. Does this speak to me? Do I want to own this? Um, but it just seems to be a trend in publishing that, um, especially for an unknown author, like why would you why would you risk, you know, carrying that inventory on somebody who's not a known quantity? So, yeah, yeah, not an easy time to be a debut picture book writer.
1: You had mentioned that you took a writing course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, many, so many well yeah right so a writing for children yeah now, why specifically writing for children did you like have, have you I mean you've obviously always been a writer and you have that magic skill of being able to take lingo and make it accessible so was it always like writing for children that attracted you or just writing in general
0: well I can. I would say if there's one thing I did right as a parent, it was read to my children from a young age. Like one of my twins had the night before Christmas memorized by the time he was a year and a half, <laughs> and so it looked like he was reading, but he just he had it all down pat because it was his favorite book year round, and it just became a real ritual with my my boys and myself because they're close in age. I have twins, and then their brother, their older brother, 16 months older. So Irish triplets. And, you know, they were able to enjoy the same stories because they were so close in age. So our nighttime ritual was always to read a book. And so it went from picture books to middle grade books to Harry Potter. I read every single Harry Potter to my boys. They were like 15 and 16, I think, by the time the last one came out. And they're like, mom, you have to read it because I would do the voices and and uh so we did and then i can remember the last one they wouldn't let me get dressed i was still in my nightie at three in the afternoon i had no voice left it was like a marathon read aloud six hours it was like please i've got to (laughs) stop though i didn't want to stop either but um so i just i read so much YA, so many picture books along the way as a result And I know how they captured my heart. And then I would get my own little ideas and go, I think, I think this is something. And I think, um, I think I'm also drawn to that genre because my childhood was a little um, interrupted by a death of a parent. And so I missed out on a, on a a phase of just being a kid and and enjoying that lighthearted, or exciting, or thrilling, imaginary world. And so for me, this is almost a way of nurturing my my inner child and saying, here you go, you get a second shot at childhood and creativity and exploring your your imagination and just go for it. So, yeah, I think it was a combination of being inspired by my kids and just wanting to, you know, experience that phase of childhood again.
1: Let's talk about DNA and why, why is your first picture book about DNA and you don't have a science background, right? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So this is really, this is really fascinating to me because I feel like we're kind of parallel here because my uh, debut middle grade novel is uh, part of a duology and it's all science-based. So one of my skills is taking, um, language and simplifying it much like you. And I am a bit of a science geek. Like I love like you popular science. Yeah. But I was never uh, fully engaged in science in school. Was that the case for you? Or were you sort of like, this is kind of interesting, but not encouraged. I
0: was a terrible student, honestly, like art was probably my best subject. Even Jim didn't inspire me. It was just art and, you know, is a bit of a, a little bit of a smoking in the girls room kind of student. And um, I think it was just because I was going through a pretty rough um, adolescence. And yeah, I feel like I, I feel like I missed an opportunity to pursue something that would have really intrigued me had I engaged. But I did at university. That's when I got hooked. I was, when I was doing my BA, I was forced to take a science elective to, to graduate. And I ended up taking two. And um, one of the ones I took was astronomy. And I just loved it. I'm, I I couldn't believe how completely fascinating and utterly engaged I was. And it was a course that most people were failing. And I was like, you know, getting 90. And I was like, well, okay, you know, if I hadn't if I had thought about this sooner, I might have been an astrophysicist, but oh, well, <laughs> it's fascinating. And, and I think that just, you know, sort of started a, a snowball of, well, what else is interesting out there? And always picking up popular science books and just wanting to learn more. Feeling, I, th- I think I was trying to make up for my lack of attention during the pivotal high school and elementary years. What was so. the
1: second course?
0: It was a climatology Oh, yeah, I aced that one too. <laughs> so so much for what my science high school teachers thought of my science abilities <laughs> right
1: no I'm I'm impressed about the astronomy because I'm one of those people who was and did no, I didn't fail it because I dropped it before we got to the <laughs> into, to the it's too late stage, but I yeah, I couldn't wrap my hand my head around it, but, you know, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to science in junior high and high school. It was just something I had to do. So what kind of research did you get into to, to write Hooray for DNA?
0: Oh my goodness. I read countless books. Oh, the one about a fish coming from a fit, like just all the sort of, um, popular science stuff that involved DNA. I read the adult stuff. Then I read all, all that was available for kids. Cause I wanted to know, you know, what hasn't been covered and, or, you know, wh- where's the whole. Um, so it was written in magazine articles and uh, looking for, you know, um, lectures online about DNA and discoveries and I just, I I really went everywhere with it. um, So, gosh, I just, I have this huge file folder of of all the books that I've read and what have you, but now that I'm onto two other subject matters, <laughs> my head is swimming with those books and those titles and, you know, that research. But yeah, no, it's a real combination of what's available that I can understand, right? Because I can't go into a heavy-duty textbook and right. stage in my life, like, I just... I can't do that to my brain, but I can go fairly deep. And also, audiobooks are fa- are just fabulous for long drives, and you know, take advantage of that time and just learn what you can while
1: you're on the road. It's great. Let's talk about what it was like to work with an illustrator. Was so you you ended up uh, illustrating with Greg Pizzoli?
0: Yeah, lucky me, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And how did that come about?
0: So this is sort of an interesting um, thing I discovered along the way, because I had a friend, Charles Bongers, who actually has his own book out now, who initially had done some drawings for Hooray for DNA that I loved. Um, But I was told by many people, don't ever approach a publisher with an illustrator like just don't ever do that. You just, it's amateur hour. If you do that. And it was a hard lesson for both Charles and me to learn that. And, but we agreed, okay, we just got to, you know, decouple the train and see what happens. So uh, when I signed on with Knopf, um, Rotem, my editor had a list of illustrators that she bounced off with me. And then we both agreed on Greg and then I had to learn to let go because it's not my job to direct or have any input on the illustrations. It's the illustrator's job to interpret my words and come out with the story that he wants to tell. So, I mean, I had so many lessons I learned along the way about how that world, how this world works and um, and learning that, you know, your illustrator, unless, I mean, unless there had been sort of a glaring... Um, misinformation in the illustration really there's there's nothing more for me to do other than to release my child into the world and see what happens So yeah it's it's the illustrator and picture book author are pretty much kept at arm's length from each other and have very little contact or or report in fact I've never, I've never spoken to Greg. We've had a couple of emails since the book came out, but prior to that, no, absolutely no contact whatsoever.
1: Were you at any time nervous about how Greg was going to interpret your story?
0: Oh, sure. For sure. Because I had I had my own kind of vision of what I thought would be the interpretation. And, and it was different from what Greg's was. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, he made it a better story. So... Maybe my interpretation would have been too literal. And he went with a whole other kind of subtext, which, you know, for the audience out there was was probably a better play than anything I would have ever come up with. But, you know, at the time you think, no, no, there should be this and that. And and then you just have to have faith and trust in that your, your illustrator knows what they're doing. And so does your editor. And they wouldn't put a book out there that they couldn't get behind, so exactly
1: yeah where were you when you found out that not wanted to pick this up i was here in this space literally
0: and um i got the call from stacy i got the call that i had an offer and that i potentially had two offers and um she told Rodham that I had this other offer, and Rotom said, "Can you give me two days?" And Stacy was, "Yep, I can." And so then um, Stacy got back to me. And I said, "Well, which of the two should I go for?" And she said, "Oh, definitely not. Definitely not for sure. Hundred percent. It's you know, just they're a bigger publisher. If if they go for it, this is what you should go for." I'm like, "Okay." And then um, Rodham wanted to um, meet with me on the phone before anything further happened just to see how amenable I was to changes within the manuscript and how easy I would be to work with and that went well and so then it was you know by the end of the week yep we would like your story we're going to be sending you an offer and I was like crying with joy and it was just so exciting and pinching myself and yeah it was like a dream come true it really was.
1: Was it uh, a hard decision to to pick which one to go with? Even though you had Stacy's um, professional opinion, was it hard to choose?
0: No, no, oh, it wasn't. Why? <laughs> well, just Knopf was such a much larger U.S. publisher than the other publisher. Um, their offer was more generous, um, but just feeling the reach of of Knopf and Random House. I like it just seemed like a no-brainer
1: yeah so yeah yahoo yippee hooray (laughs) are you now transitioning into full-time writing or did was that already in play
0: that was already in play um i had spent some time as a practicing artist and showing my work in galleries up until about 2009 i guess but i was also writing at the same time and um I even dabbled in politics for a bit (laughs) Um, and ran provincially and federally in a couple of elections for the Green Party, just not because I thought I would ever get elected, but it was just, you know, I had just seen um, an inconvenient truth and I was feeling like, what is it within my power to do as a human being to stop this freight train? And I felt that the Green Party's um, platform at the time at least put things on the table and so I agreed to run in a couple of elections for them, federally and provincially, just to just to get people talking about the environment and talking about climate change. And uh, so I did that. But it, gosh, that was really way out of my comfort zone, like as a shy, more introverted person. And I had to do like live TV debates. And I just was a massive neck hives. And I'm sure I aged myself five years from doing that. But I just felt like I had to do my little bit to help contribute to keeping the planet rotating on its axis and all the little critters alive. So so I did that also in in that period where I was showing my work and yeah. So, so I've worn a forest.
1: <laughs> what kind of art do you create?
0: Well, my last major show was all about forests and um, it was called Phantom Forests and it was just to draw attention to the boreal forest (laughs) interestingly enough and um that was at the lonsdale gallery in toronto and um i would say i i sort of dip in and out of abstract and smudgy realism nothing nothing pure realism it's more abstract but the the forest they all kind of look like skeletons and uh that was my my little message at the time and i had um World Wildlife Fund um, co-exhibit with me at my show just to promote information on, you know, what we were doing with deforestation at the time. And so, yeah, just, it seems to me if you have, if you have an ability to use your, your craft, your, your art to educate, why, why not do that? I 100% agree. I'm doing that now with the writing. It's the same, yeah. almost the same thing, but now with writing.
1: So your force are they, are they paintings?
0: Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I really, I need to work on marketing myself better. Like the fact that you didn't, there's not much out there on me is because I don't really do much to put it out there. And I, I know now with writing that I'm going to have to really... Uh, get on the ball and, and, and start really harnessing social media, I need to buff up my website, because right now it's just art and, you know, a book or Hooray for DNA coming soon. I haven't even updated it that far. It's just like, it all feels, it all feels like a big job.
1: (laughs) That's very common. (laughs) Yeah, among authors. What surprised you about this whole journey from idea to published picture book?
0: It's such a roller coaster ride. It's full of so many bittersweet moments. It's crazy. Um, You know, like the high of getting a publisher, and then you have all these expectations, and that's not reality. And then you, you know, you dip into the well of, oh, like since the book has come out, which was, it came out April 25th, I I thought it was going to be in all the bookstores. I thought it was going to be in Indigo. I thought it was going to be in Barnes & Noble. I thought, it, like, I thought, oh, it's Random House. They're huge. My book will be in all the stores. Oh my God, you know, how exciting is this? And then it wasn't in any, it was like in a few independent bookstores and that was kind of it. And it was online and libraries were picking it up and schools. Um. So that was great. But I mean, I can't see that. Like that's invisible to me. So to my mind, it was like, I've written this book and no one's ever going to see it because who would buy a picture book that they can't see? And I also think I also think the book looks so much more beautiful in real life than it does digitally. So to rely just on its digital appearance I don't think has the same kind of draw as holding it and seeing it and you know appreciating Greg's palette cuz computers don't really show the colors as truthfully as they exist in reality and so yeah i I had i've had moments of despair since it came out that you know it's never going to sell it's a stillborn you know i've gone to all this trouble and and it's not ever going to get traction or or how do i help it get traction i have no idea um, I know my publisher has done their part and, you know, sending out review copies and that kind of thing. But I'm still trying to figure out how do you how do you market as a debut picture book author? Like, how do you get it out there? How do you get people interested? And particularly in the States, I have no idea how to how to reach that audience from up here like locally, I can do stuff, I can go to schools, I could go to libraries and do readings and that kind of thing. And I would have, you know, a local following, but you know, how to take it up from there. I don't know. I mean, um, it's a it's a a lesson in motion right now, because I'm only three months old. So it's still it's still pretty much a newborn. And, you know, I'm sure my expectations will be reset again. And then I do that awful thing that nobody should do of like reading every review and checking them all. And then, you know, and then somebody has been mean. And then you just were like, how can you be mean? How is that? Like, why even, why say anything mean? Like if you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say it at all. But there are people out there who, you know, just not everybody feels that way. (laughs) And then there are lots of lovely reviews and I'm happy to read those and you know, but I shouldn't follow the numbers. I shouldn't go on to book manager and go, oh, oh, now I'm down here. Oh, oh, it's plummeting. And then the next day it could be like up again. It's like such a roller coaster ride. It's just not a good idea for your mental health to look at it at all. Like, I think I know I need to stop myself, but I haven't figured out how to
1: yet. So how do you manage yourself and your emotions when you read a bad review? I just... I don't like that
0: person very much. <laughs> I just I don't think I like you. And then I, then I have to go and read the positive once again. And, you know, and remind myself that art is subjective. All art is subjective. Everything is subjective. Not everyone is going to, nothing can be universally loved. It just can't be. I don't think, except for Obama, maybe. Well, no, I'm sure he's not. I, in fact, I know he's not, but he should be. Um, so... Yeah, I just have to keep reminding myself, you know, I don't like everything. I don't, you know, stuff that other people like, a lot of people like, I don't necessarily like. So I just have to allow, allow for that full rainbow of experience. And yeah, yeah, I just have to, I mean, I've had enough rejection letters. You'd think I'd be pretty thick skinned by now, but no.
1: It doesn't work that way. Yeah. yeah, we have to remind ourselves that not everybody learned the lesson of if you don't have anything nice to say say nothing at all <laughs> it doesn't for some reason it doesn't seem to apply to the digital world
0: yeah and don't track the numbers that's just oh. such a
1: bad idea it really yeah. is yeah uh, so what are you working on now or can you share or is it hush hush I don't know how hush-hush hash
0: is, but I do have a manuscript in um, uh, with Rotom. I'm waiting to hear back on, and it's about quantum mechanics. Um, sort of similar vibe to Hooray for DNA, um, written in verse. <laughs> so yeah, I'm waiting to hear back on that. And I'm currently writing um, a manuscript about the history of the earth. And then in addition to that, I've written a screenplay. It's a paranormal thriller that I'm now crafting into a YA novel.
1: Wow. Wow. That's so okay. So hold on a minute. The quantum mechanics, is that like gonna be a picture book? Is that the intent? Yeah. Okay. So that is way beyond pop science. Like (laughs) it is, it isn't. Like when you see it
0: you'll understand. Yes.
1: (laughs) Okay. And then the YA novel, like how did it morph into a, a YA novel? Well,
0: I'm making i it hasn't morphed yet. It's okay. only a couple of chapters along. But having written the screenplay, it's sort of like I've got the most detailed outline you could ever imagine, right? Having done having done all that hard work of outlining and dialogue. And so now it's like using that as my as my outline to write the the YA novel component of it. So
1: and yeah. have you, had you ever written a screenplay before?
0: I've taken a number of screenplay writing courses. I have this is the first one I've finished. I have several that are, you know, 75% of the way there. But this one I've written I've written it a couple of times. It still needs more work for sure. But there's enough there. Like it's the story is there. So I thought, because my my protagonist is a teenager, I mean it's it's a YA novel waiting to be written. So And maybe it's better to go out with the two packaged together as well. I don't know. We'll
1: see. (laughs) So, okay, I'm I'm like, my brain is just like, it's rolling. Now, welcome Uh, to my brain. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Screenplays are not easy to write. So was it a course that made you think, oh, I'm gonna dabble in some screenplays or was it the story that popped into your head that said, I'm a screenplay, not a novel at first?
0: Um, Screenplay writing appealed to me because first of all, it's 120 pages (laughs) lead to fills. And it's, it's very concise writing. I think I'm more drawn to concision than longer prose. So it did appeal to me for that reason, because it's very terse, uh, precise storytelling. And it's very visual. And having come from an art background as well, you know, I do think in pictures and I do think visually, and it just seemed to me like a really, a really good medium for expressing my story. And also in my family, I've been accused of being the, the plot destroyer. Like I just ruin every movie we watch. It's like, He did it and it's like we're five minutes in I know this is what's happened and uh so I'm the plot queen so I felt like I had a a knack for plot and um and it was just like well why don't you why don't you turn your hat to to screenplay writing and see what happens so yeah I do I mean it's a lot of fun and and it's really not unlike writing for kids in that you know, it is it is more condensed and it's more concise and you kind of have to get to the point faster. And you have to craft your dialogue. Cool.
1: Which is always a it's always a hard one, dialogue. Well, congratulations on Hooray for DNA. It's adorable and it it it, it speaks to me as a, as a fellow science geek. <laughs> and how yeah, we are all kind of connected by our DNA. It's kind of funny when you think about it.
0: You know, it seemed to me like there's so many stories out there that celebrate diversity and individualism. And, you know, right now things are so divided and there's so much animosity, racism rearing its ugly head. I just wanted to have a story that reminded us that we're more alike than we are different. And, um, and at the same time, it does celebrate our diversity. You know, it, it embraces all the diversity. But at the end of the day, we're almost twins, each and every one of us. So I don't know. That just felt like a little message that needs to get out there
1: right now in the world. It's kind of wild when you stop to think about that, right? Yeah. 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 All right. So, Thank you so much for your time today, Pauline. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this quantum mechanics. That's like, ooh, (laughs) (laughs) maybe I'll finally understand it.
0: Well, I, I hope my publisher likes it. May, may have to go back to the drawing board. I don't know. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Exactly. Toes crossed. Eyes crossed.
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of What Were You Thinking? You can order your copy of Hooray for DNA from your independent bookseller and wherever books are sold. I'd also like to invite you to subscribe to my newsletter over on Substack. It's called The Shrew in You and it gives you an inside look into what's going on in this crazy head of mine. You can subscribe at substack.com slash Dana Goldstein. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and once again, thanks for giving me your ears. Come from what? Low extraction has never recreated an intact DNA strand. Not without master sequence caps.
0: Good afternoon, John. DNA from what source? Where do you get a hundred million year old dinosaur plot?